State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot, happy mess. I'm Zuri Hall, and this is Hot, Hot happy, happy Mess. Oh, shoot. <laughs> what is up? Welcome to another episode of Hot, Happy Mess. I am your host, Zuri Hall, and today we are talking about a really heavy topic obviously divorce if you've read the title um but it's an important one it's a discussion that is necessary because people get divorced it's a fact of life and what i really strive to do here at hot happy mess is cultivate a safe space for us to speak our truths we don't always have to agree with one another or understand why people do what they do or or don't do other things um this is about being able to come and have conversations and feel supported in whatever it is you decide you want for your life. And I'm really proud of all the stuff we've been cooking up here. You guys have really been loving the Love and Relationship series and we're coming to a close. It's wrapping up. So how fitting that it is with the divorce episode. So today we are going to have an amazing woman named Sai Neary. Sai is a certified life and divorce coach, and she is going to just dive into the nitty gritty of her own real woman, real story. Uh, she got married really young and divorced uh, with a child and had to navigate that space on her own and eventually found love again also, and now dedicates her life to coaching other people through that process and sometimes deciding and helping them figure out if they should stay or if they should go and if they should go, how to navigate that in the safest, healthiest, happiest way possible. Um, I'm also going to be doing another Ask Zuri segment at the end, so stick around. Um, One of you lovely ladies slid in my DMs with a question about her boyfriend and some behavior that she thinks might be toxic, particularly after listening to our episode on toxicity. So I'm going to give her some advice on his behavior and some red flags, some warning signs. And then 
I'm going to go. <laughs> then the episode's going to be over. Uh, so enjoy this first conversation. Sai is a certified life and divorce coach. She helps men and women turn their divorce into a blessing and helps them create the life of their dreams. Her mission is to shatter divorce stigma and shame and create a movement around celebrating life and divorce. Here's Sai. Hello, Sai. Hey, girl. How's it going? It's going well. I'm, I'm so glad that you are sharing your time and your story and your expertise, uh, particularly because it's kind of a two for one, you guys, today, because I love that you are uh, going to open up about your own divorce story um, in addition to sharing your expert opinion and, and wisdom in this space as a divorce coach. Um, so just to kind of kick things off, break it down for us, uh, walk us through your journey to divorce, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. All right. So we're just going to get right into it. Just dive right in. I'm going to bear my soul to you guys. (laughs) And we're just going to do this and have so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm 38 now. It's just to put things in perspective. And I had to do the math real quick because I never remember. (laughs) I know. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, wait, what? Carry the two. I was born in June. How old am I? (laughs) I feel you. Going on 33 here. And there you go. Okay, so to back up, I'm not I'm married now, but remarried, but I have been through a divorce as you know, and I was 19 when I met my now ex-husband. I was a baby. Freshman year in college. Like, what do you know a freshman year in college other than you know you need to take some credits and get through it? I barely knew how to get from one side of campus to the other, let alone yeah, how to choose a life partner. 100%. <laughs> but I decided I wanted to be in love. So love okay. is what I found. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and it was kind of like love at first sight. And um, he was Pakistani, Muslim. Like he checked off all the boxes. My parents were going to love him. Like it was fantastic. And, and like, for our listeners, uh, just break down your background. Why was that? ideal for you at the time? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I'm first generation immigrant from Pakistan, you know, grew up in a very traditional Pakistani household, strong values, like you marry within the faith, you marry within the culture. I'm like, yes, I'm the firstborn daughter. I got us covered. (laughs) So I meet this guy. He's handsome. He's educated. He comes from a good family. All of the things that were really important to my family. And at the time, if I'm being honest, they were important to me too, because that's what I grew up with. That's what I knew. That was my value system. Like, cool. This is great. Love it. Love, love. I'm down for this. (laughs) Yeah. And let me ask you this. So as, as he checked all the boxes and you were starting to date each other, um, if, is, were you dating at this point? You had started, you know, going out and all of that. Um, were you feeling the feels? Did it feel like, okay, I'm actually going through sort of that physiological process of falling in love too? Or were you just like... He'll do because he checks all the boxes. I I was madly in love with him. At okay, 19. okay. Nobody got could it. tell me that it wasn't love. Okay, all right. Just all in. All in. Okay, so you're all in. You're in college, nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, where does it go from there? We got engaged. I'm twenty at this point. Oh it moved wow! Real fast. That <laughs> happened quickly. I don't think I was expecting <laughs> twenty. I was like, and then we stayed in college for a few years and got married. Okay, so by twenty, you're engaged. I'm engaged. I'm committed because this is what was normal. Like my mom got married when she was eighteen, had me at nineteen, so I was on track. I was doing great in life. I was going to college, first one in my family to go to college, so it was great. And I was in love, and I'm like, yes, I want to get married. Of course, I want to marry you. And so you got married at 20, 21? 22. 22. Okay. So by 22, you were married. Um, 
walk us through those early years of marriage. What, how did it all go down? How did the marriage start to play out? And when did you realize um, something might be wrong? I realized when I got engaged. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sigh. <laughs> Break it down for me. What did you realize? What did you know? And then why did you suppress that feeling? Yeah, so I noticed a lot of red flags, and I don't want to go into all of the details, just out of integrity of our relationship. We co-parent, so I'm not going to air, like, the dirty laundry. But what I will share is who he was and what he portrayed and how he portrayed himself wasn't what I thought he was. And because I was 20 and then 21 and then 22, I was going through my own growth, and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. He wasn't a bad guy. Like, he wasn't emotionally, physically abusive or anything like that. He he wasn't bad. But there were just certain personality traits where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out for me longer term, but I love him and maybe he'll change. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know. What we always tell ourselves, right? They'll change. They they'll change. And I'll, I'll be honest. It's like I married the potential of who he could be rather than who he was. Wow. Wow. And I think a lot of us do that. Oh, 100%. You know, we've had conversations like this on the podcast and certainly amongst friends and colleagues. I've had these convos. I've dated potential and, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, planted my flag on that hill for longer than I should have, um, only to look up and realize that that potential wasn't realized and you really are falling in love with or staying committed to the idea of someone instead of who they're showing up as. So I think that's something that so many of us can relate to. Um, yeah. And I love hearing you be open about that fact, right? Because I think there's empowerment to be had in that um, and realizing yeah. that none of us are the only one who do that and, and to kind of Mm-mm. be gentle with ourselves when it comes to beating ourselves up sometimes about falling in love with potential. It's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. We want to hope and wish for the best. And I think that's what our brains do. And I definitely had this moment, like even before I got married, I was like, we should probably cancel this wedding. Like, just don't go forward. But I was like, well, if I do that, it's going to bring a lot of shame to our family. And I'm not that kind of girl. So we went wow. in. Wow. So you went in. Did it. Okay. So you got married. How long were you married before divorce became a topic of conversation? Less than a year. Less than a year? Yeah. Okay. So only not even a year into the marriage, you were already considering ending it. Like before our first wedding anniversary, there was just like so many different challenges in our relationship, our personalities, our religious, like religious values. Like I said, I was going on my own journey. He was going on his journey. And we just, there was no meeting point. Mm. We were just like, we got married young and then we grew apart very quickly. Again, he's not a bad guy. Right. Just not my guy. And it was like, I wanted to leave, but I couldn't leave because it was just, we just got married. Give it some time. You know, the first year is hard. You never know. Yeah. Right. That's always the the age old saying, the first year is the hardest. And I'm like, well, how hard is it supposed to be before (laughs) you're like, okay, wait, what? Um, So how long were you two married before you actually started that process? Like you said, you co-parent still. Um, So did a baby come very soon into the marriage? Three years. Miraculously conceived. I will say this. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, I know that one time. God. Yeah, I'm like reading through the lines. Okay, yes, meant to be. Um, Baby girl? Baby boy. Baby boy. Okay, baby boy. Call him Q for short. He's now 12. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, so baby Q's on the scene. Um, you're a few years into marriage and, and you realize it's time. Um, yes. How difficult was that for you? What was that conversation like? Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about societal norms and your culture, you're South Asian, you're Muslim, you're contemplating divorce. Um, what concerns did you have? And then also, how did you get over them to do what you felt you needed to do? Oh, that's such a good question. So I contemplated, I'd actually tried leaving three times before I actually left. It was definitely a very difficult decision. And how I got to that decision was it was literally impacting my mental health. Like I'm a pretty resilient person, but I got to the point in my marriage and just mentally and emotionally, I'm like, I didn't want to live anymore. I was at a point where I was like, okay, it was easier to like die than to like move forward with divorce because like it almost felt like there was no other way because I wasn't allowed to leave culturally Mm. it was just like no we're not going to do this we're not going to bring shame to the family think about your brother and your sisters like what is this how does this look like our family doesn't do this and so like as I was going through that I was like wait hold up I can't help any of these adults but my child he's 14 months old He actually needs me because I don't trust any of these people to raise my kids. (laughs) You're like, I'm sticking around because he's not heading in any of your directions. Okay, wow. That's okay. Got it. So you're like, I got to stay. I got to figure out how to uh, find a way for my baby boy. Yeah. So like I got the mental help that I needed, right? Meds, therapy, all of the things. But also like my child needs me, everyone else has got to go. Mm. And so then I had like this F you mentality. I'm like, this is hard. I don't care what anyone says. This child is helpless. Y'all can't raise him because I don't trust any of you. Yeah. So we're going to do this. And he he literally like gave me the strength that I needed to move forward. Wow. wow. So like people stay for the kids. I left for my child. Oh my goodness. And that's something that I wanted to talk about with you because so often people say, you know, we just hung in there for the kids. And, you know, I'll be honest, even as I was growing up, my parents still love each other very much. They divorced when I was in college. Um, and now they get along really well. We all hang out. It's really beautiful around holidays and things like that. But for um, quite a few years, it kind of felt like they were staying together for us. And you feel that and you internalize that as a child a little bit, you know, you can sense those differences, even if you don't have the um, emotional intelligence or the vocabulary yet to put a name to it or to articulate it. Um, So it's really fascinating for me to hear you say, some people stay for the kids. I left for mine because you felt that that was what was best for your child. What was it like removing yourself from the marriage? Was it as difficult as you feared? How did you navigate that? And just really quickly, because I want to, and not, not to, I don't mean quickly to rush oh, you girl, through, but I don't want to dig stay too here deeply, for hours. You know. and okay, great. <laughs> yeah, only, only whatever you're comfortable sharing, but I just say that to say so that, you know, we can kind of dive into your expert opinion on, on others who might be navigating such a difficult time in their lives. Uh, how did you navigate it? It was hard as hell. Um, and so like taking a step back, whenever we end our prime, I'm going into expert mode real quick to like reconcile whenever we end our primary romantic relationship, like your brain literally thinks someone has died. Mm. So like, if you can imagine leaving a marriage, you have like the safety, the security, even though it's absolutely miserable, but you're leaving, like it is really hard. And I think you have to like understand and like give yourself grace through that journey. 
For me, it was difficult because I assumed primary physical um, custody of our child. So he was with me almost 99% of the time. He was 14 months old. So not only like the like the taking care of a child on your own, having a full-time job, moving, relocating, all of the things, it was definitely challenging. But I'm so glad I went through that because like now I can do anything I want. Yeah. And you were how old by by the time you were going through the divorce process? 26, 27, something 26 like that. 26 or 27, wow. Yeah, 27 feels right. Okay, 27 feels right. You're like, that. it's behind me. I've stopped counting. Like, that's the past. Seriously. 27-ish. That feels right. Okay. So <laughs> you, um, you left your marriage. You divorced. Um, can I ask, was it a mutual decision at that point? Or was it you deciding, I just, I have to, to go? You could and totally it. ask. Okay. No, it wasn't mutual at all. Okay. Okay. It was a decision that I made, mm-hmm. and I it wasn't up for discussion any longer because the other three times there was a discussion and there were no changes. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm done. Okay. So. so that, you know, to to kind of zero in on why you decided it was the last straw, you tried to, to work it out. You tried to bring up the issues that were of concern to you and felt like those needs just weren't getting met over and yeah. over again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're divorced. You're 27, and you have this beautiful baby boy. Um, at what point did you decide, I want to to step into this world to help other people going through divorce? Was it immediately after or sometime later? It's a little bit of both. So after I got divorced, I had people, like women from our community, our South Asian community, to, like they started reaching out to me, right? They're like, wow, like this is a woman, she's got a kid and she left. Like, I want to do that. I want that. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. And so I did a bit of that, like informally, like I wasn't trained or anything like that. I was just up service and supporting, supporting these women in our community. And then it wasn't until... I can literally say three years ago, I was on the Long Island Railroad reading Jen Sincero's book, You're a Badass. I don't know if you read it or not. I've not. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Girl, get that on Audible. It's amazing. Okay, okay. And I was just at that point in my life where I'm like, my life is bigger and more meaningful than like what I'm doing in my Mm -hmm. day life, like my corporate job. And I just like, like, I literally, and I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. And I could almost feel this voice saying, like, this is what you need to do. This is your calling because I've always wanted to help other people. Mm -hmm. And I started out as a relationship coach and quickly realized that that is not my calling. I still coach couples and people that want to stay in their marriage. I do help them. But it was like there is a bigger conversation that needs to happen. There needs to be a movement around divorce because so many people are suffering Mm. and they don't have to. And explain to our listeners, what does that look like, a divorce coach? When do you hire one? When do you bring one in? What do, what do they do? What, what are you doing through their process? Do you help them decide if they should get a divorce? Or I do, actually. Only- okay. Yeah, so I help my clients through all different stages of, like, consideration. So you're like, should I go? Should I stay? What do I do? Sometimes they decide to stay, and I help them through that. Like, I'm all for love, love, love. Um, or if they decide to go like, okay, so what are your next steps? How are we going to move forward with litigation? Right. Like pulling in the right lawyers, like all of that stuff. And just like mentally and emotionally, like preparing them for the emotional roller coaster they're going to be on. So there's like a lot of mindset work associated with that and just making sure you feel grounded the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I help my clients when they're in the middle of litigation and just like losing their minds and, you know, back and forth between different hearings and, the hot mess that it is yeah. sometimes through litigation. <laughs> yeah. I help them through that. 
or they're already divorced. It's all said and done, but they're utterly heartbroken and they Mm. just can't get their feet in front of them. Like, what do I do? Like, no one's going to want to be with me, right? They're feeling guilty. They're feeling shameful. They're just like, my life is over. Yeah. So So you really are there as an emotional support too. Yeah, practical and emotional and like mental support, 100%. Okay. In your experience, what are some of the most prevalent um, signs that, you know, a couple should end it, that that they're headed for divorce from the the clients that you've had? Some you say stay, um, the others who leave. What, What tends to be the writing on the wall in your opinion? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of research on this. Um, John Gottman, through the Gottman Institute, they've actually done a study on couples that end up divorcing, like what are some of the top behaviors? And one of the top behaviors is contempt, right? Mm -hmm. So how are they showing up in that relationship? How contentious are they? How contemptuous are they? Um, In terms of a toxic marriage itself, oftentimes I'll find there's one partner that's a narcissist, there's a lot of gaslighting happening. If there's physical abuse, I'm like, girlfriend, what are we doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, call a shelter, get the what, get, get out of there. Sorry, yeah. I drop we can guess, we time. drop F bombs on Thank you. I'm like, get the fuck out of there in the <laughs> yeah. most loving way, right? And we kind of right. figure out how to navigate that. So, because safety is of paramount, like, there's no mm-hmm. discussion about it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then just like not being and feeling heard. I think people can make the decision to stay and love each other, even if the other person isn't perfect, as long as they can get all of their needs met, not necessarily by that person, but just being of Mm self-sufficiency. And sometimes you can, and then you're like, okay, well, if this is a decision you want to make and you don't want to be here, that's okay too. And there's no shame around it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're not a religious person necessarily, but that you are very spiritual. Oftentimes when it comes to marriage um, and divorce, right? Uh, When it comes to religion also in that intersection, it can be very difficult for people to reconcile um, deciding to move forward with ending a marriage um, while also feeling that they're operating within the bounds of their religious beliefs. Um, Have you seen that often? How do you navigate that with your clients? Do you find that the clients who are um, particularly religious have a more difficult time with it? I actually just signed a client that was um, in the seminary. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, and he's like, I've been wanting to leave, but this is wrong. And then he's like thinking of coming to Catholicism. It was like a whole thing. So yes, I, I definitely yeah. see it. I have clients on all different spectrums related to their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I think fundamentally, there are the beliefs that you grew up with around divorce and relationships and marriage, mm-hmm. right? Like I grew up with a certain set of beliefs. I'm like, I don't know if I want to believe this anymore, Right. You get to decide what your values are going to be just because that's how you were conditioned or raised to believe. It doesn't mean you have to continue that. And then really, like, it's there's a lot of resistance to that because you feel like you're betraying God. You're, you feel like you're betraying your family, your friends. Like, what are people going to think of you? Yeah. But it's also remembering, like, you only have this one life. And, you know, my clients that believe in God believe in a loving God. Like, I believe Mm -hmm. in a loving God. I believe Mm -hmm. in a loving source, universe, like, call it whatever you want. And I don't believe that we're here to suffer. Mm -hmm. I don't think God wants any one of us to suffer. Wow. Beautifully said. If 
someone is to the point where they say, you know what, I, I've sat down with myself, I've realized I, I this is right, this is what needs to happen, and they're ready to have that very difficult conversation with their partner, how do you suggest one broach that conversation? How do you bring up to your spouse, I want to leave this marriage? That's such a heavy conversation. I can't imagine how difficult it, it would be to navigate. Yeah, it is really hard, but we're also... We can do really hard things like you can push a child out. You can like give birth. You can do Mm -hmm. crazy things. Mm -hmm. This is emotionally hard. And I don't want to like spiritually bypass that by any means. Like it is hard. And that's why having the mental and emotional support, like feeling really firm and grounded in your decision is like paramount to like having that conversation with your spouse. Because if you're shaky, they're going to pick up on your energy and they're going to try to, like, finagle, like, their way back in. And you're going to be like, oh, well, maybe we can work it out. <laughs> yeah. Three times I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I know things. It was the fourth time was the charm for you. Three times you stayed, right? Yeah. And the difference was that fourth time, it was a decision and not a discussion. Mm. Right? Wow. Like, so, like, and it's not like hey, you're an asshole and I'm done with you and you need to leave. Like, I'm not saying do that. Like, definitely don't do that. You can end a marriage in the most loving way from a place of like, I love you. I'm not in love with you. And this is not working. And this is not up for discussion. Yeah. And holding that space for them to let them process through that because you just dropped a bomb on them. Right, right. I, I really appreciate the way you said that. It's a decision and not a discussion. Just says so much about how you can approach that. I hesitate to say conversation. (laughs) It's more of like a declaration. Um, When uh, people are considering, you know, divorce, and maybe, hey, sometimes it's mutual, right? Like, let's also acknowledge that two parties might want to walk away from one another, but maybe they share a bunch of assets or maybe they share children. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit. That can oftentimes be the big thing. We're going to stay together for the kids. Um, I'd love if you could share your perspective on Is it ever okay? Is it ever ideal to stay together for the kids? And if so, in what circumstances? And what harm might it cause to staying together simply for the kids when it's someone that you absolutely cannot stand or don't want to be with anymore? Yeah, so my gut response is don't stay for the kids. Like, it's never healthy. And I think there's a lot of research and and therapists and other coaches that would tell you, like, and you even said it too, right? When we started talking, you're like, yeah, I think my parents stayed for us. And you kind of felt like they weren't really together, right? And so as a coach, like, I'm going to support whatever decision you make. Like, you want to stay for the kids? Sure. Let's get your your mindset right and your emotional and mental health 100% solid, So that when you are around your spouse, like you're not about to lose it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a decision and sticking with that decision. So to answer your question, most of my clients are of the mindset, like I can no longer stay for the kids. I've tried this for years and I'm exhausted. Mm. And so if you do decide to stay for the kids, I want you to think about what kind of husband or wife are you being? What kind of example are you setting for your children? What are they learning from you? Whether it's your language, whether it's your body language, and what are you normalizing for them? So if you're in a marriage and your your spouse is emotionally abusive, but hey, you're staying in a marriage for your kids, what are the kids learning? Right. They're learning. It's okay for 
for a partner to talk to me like this because this is my norm. Yeah. And that just, it kind of breaks my heart to think about because you hear that saying, hurt people, hurt people, right? And yeah. you think of these kids growing up and internalizing certain behaviors. And then the, the most heartbreaking part is he stayed together for the kids, but they got this master class in dysfunction or, you know, or the bad dynamics or, you know, um, attachment styles that are just incompatible and completely unhealthy. And then they go out into the world and they repeat those patterns in their own romantic relationships because it's all they ever knew. It's all they grew up seeing, which is heartbreaking. Um, um, I appreciate your perspective on that. When it comes to divorce, we also hear this phrase, conscious uncoupling, right? Like Gwyneth Paltrow kind of like brought it to the masses and everyone was like, what is, what are her and Chris doing? They're unwedding. And um, it seemed at the time to have this very mindful and loving connotation like, okay, well, that sounds a little calmer and more pleasant than, mm-hmm. you know, the dirty word of divorce, even though obviously it is still legally undoing a marriage. Um, I would assume I would I defer to the expert on that. Talk to us about what conscious uncoupling actually is. Is it divorce, but nicer? What is the process? And, and do you recommend it? How different is it from the normal divorce process? I think the, the concept around conscious uncoupling is beautiful. Um, I'm very familiar with it. And I will say that it is definitely possible. It starts with at least one person being of, in the space of being mindful on how to move forward, right? In, in a peaceful, loving way. But it also requires the other partner to sort of kind of be on board or come along the journey. Mm. So if, you're, if you have a spouse, your, your partner, for instance, doesn't want a divorce, it's going to be very challenging to bring them on board to be like, let's do this loving especially if you're dealing with a high conflict ex. Okay. So I love the idea. I don't know how many divorces are consciously uncoupled in the United States. I don't have those stats, Mm -hmm. but it is something that I do encourage my clients, like any of them that decide to move forward with their divorce, to not be an asshole to their spouse Mm -hmm. and to really move forward in a loving, loving way. Like, how would you like to be treated? How, like, What does that respect look like to you? Whatever you desire, you need to give first. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests. But with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and out one of you! Drive the Nissan Rogue. 
How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. What are some of the emotional triggers or, you know, typical concerns that potential divorcees might have through this process? Kind of if someone's listening and thinking, oh, I might want to do this. What should I prepare for? How do you kind of get your your clients ready for battle? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's so interesting you said battle because there's, right, because like that's what you hear in mainstream media. Like it's going to be a battle. You got to fight it out. You got to conquer it. Like you got to overcome this. I'm just like doesn't even need to be an argument. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like how you like frame it up. Like, okay, if think about your wedding or like whoever, like obviously these people are married because like they are going through the divorce. Think about how you move forward with your wedding, your wedding planning, how thoughtful, intentional you were, how much time you spent on that, how much love and energy you gave into your wedding planning. Yeah. I think the same can be said of like your divorce. This is not the end of the world. This is a legal dissolution of your marriage. And so I want you to be smart about how you're going to move forward. You spend months trying to find a venue. You spend months trying to find the right photographer and the freaking dress and (laughs) and the chair covers and the place settings, right? Like you really went all in and spent a lot of mental, emotional energy. So do the same. Do the same. Interesting. No, that's really a great point. You know, you never think about that, but this is just as important a process um, as the reverse, as the exact opposite. And, And the way you go about it will certainly affect, you know, what you experience through it and how you come out on the other side of it. Yeah. So like with that said, it's like invest in a coach or a therapist, right? Invest in a financial planner, invest in mediation or a lawyer, like invest in all of their different resources that you're going to need to make yourself whole. Yeah. Okay. Divorce parties have become a thing. People have talked about celebrating it and sort of like owning that decision to uh, part ways the same way you have a wedding reception or a party when you join lives together. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Do your clients ever 
bring that up? Like, Girl, well, have I you am been all, to a divorce party? I am all for it. I had my own divorce Did party you? like 10 years ago before <laughs> it even became the thing. Okay. okay. Made cupcakes, had like people over, burned my marriage certificate. Zing! Went out. I went, went out, had a sexy dress on. I don't even remember what club we went to, but I had bottle service, like the whole nine yards. It was amazing. Yeah. Okay. And then I cried like two days later. <laughs> I pre- Listen, if that's not hot, happy, and mess at the same time, I love it. I love it. That's what it all is about, right? That's why It is because so- life is 50-50, right? So yeah. 50% of the time, it's going to be a positive experience. 50% of the time, it's going to be negative. So like if my clients want to party, I'm like, I will like help you coordinate. I will help you plan. Let me know. Mm-hmm. So holding the space for celebrating your life and your divorce. By the way, that's totally my tagline on Instagram if you ever check out my feed. So I love yes, that you wait, said that. Drop the at. We're going to do it at the end too. But drop it now. Where's the Insta? <laughs> yep. At Cy, the Divorce Coach. And so celebrating, right? Partying it up, but also holding the space for grieving mm-hmm. what you did lose. You did mm-hmm. lose a relationship. Maybe there was financial things you've lost. Maybe there were friends you've lost along the way. In-laws, whatever. There is grieving there. But you can hold a space to do both. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's so important to remember, right? Like it's going to be high and low, high yeah. and low, like any other thing in our lives. Um, for you, as you entered into, you know, single, newly single again, and you've got this baby boy, what was that like for you? I mean, when you're on social media and you see these happy couples and, you know, you're hated newly that. divorced. <laughs> you hated it, Right. I hated all of them. I hated happy couples. I hated baby announcements. I hated engagement announcements. I hated rings. I hated everybody. (laughs) I so appreciate how real you are keeping it about this process. Fuck that. (laughs) So it was hard. It was hard to see. It was really hard. It was very triggering. And I think it was triggering because at the time, like, I didn't have the resources and the tools that I have now as a coach or just having been coached. Like, damn, I really wish I knew about this because I didn't have to suffer like five years. Wow. Five so been, for like, five years it. you were suffering post-divorce. Yeah, it was a really you, hard time. Really? For sure. Yeah. What do you wish you'd known then that you know now? That we have a lot more power over our emotions than we realize. Like everything your thoughts create your feelings, your feelings create your actions, and your actions create your results. So like, that's just how it works. Yep. And so when I was feeling really sad and anxious about a freaking wedding announcement or someone had a baby and a, here I am, just like all of these are neutral circumstances. It's what I am thinking that's making me feel this way. Mm-hmm. And not having that information, it just like cultivated like this victim mentality like I like divorce happened to me like there was something wrong with me like I was damaged no one's gonna want to be with me who's gonna want to be with a mom that has a child this is Mm. complicated right like all of those negative thoughts like perpetuated years and years and years and it didn't have to like I had all of the power if I had known what I know now like I'd be like like I am a rock star but like I wouldn't have to do it for five years you know what I mean wow like you just have so much control like most people think that divorce is happening to them. And I am of the camp, like I've learned along the way, and this is what I help my clients with, like divorce is happening for you. And it's a subtle shift, but it is mm. everything. Changes your perspective, changes your life. 100%. You 
got over that five-year hump of, of the negativity of, of feeling like you were a victim, that this was a thing that happened to you, um, you did find love again. Spoiler alert. You, you mentioned at the, the beginning of our conversation that you are married again. Uh, <laughs> finding love after divorce. For you, safe to say it's possible? I mean, what are the signs you're ready to date? And how did you, how did that journey to love happen for you? It was interesting. <laughs> there were a okay. lot of princes like along the way. Not princes, sorry. A lot of frogs. A lot of frogs. I was going to be like, a lot of princes. Yeah, okay, yeah, you yeah. got to like, the love. Tell, tell the ladies where they are. <laughs> nope, nope. English is my second language. Okay. A lot of frogs. A lot of okay, frogs lot of who frog. are like made out with intensely. But no. <laughs> Sometimes you got to make out with a frog or two, you know? Maybe they're a sexy frog. They might be very attractive. The frog probably has a nice car. It's fun. Still yeah. a frog. There's nothing wrong with frogs. You need right. the frogs to appreciate the prince. Yes, exactly. Um, so to answer your question in terms of what are some signs you're ready, like, A, you feel neutral about your ex. Like, you don't hate him or her. Mm. Like, you're not, like, going through their social media and you're like, that, da, da, da. And, like, no, you're, like, so neutral. It's, like, you feel the way you feel about your ex as if, like, you're saying that the, the sky is blue or the sun is setting. Like, there's no mm. drama about it. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, you don't feel like you need to be in a relationship. Like, you're so cool and chill with being alone. Like, you love your alone time. You're not trying to, like, fit a timeline in and get engaged by a certain time and have yeah. a baby. And, like, all like you're not doing that. You're really in this space of, like, I am 100% whole. Mm-hmm. I'm loving my, my life. I'm living my best life. And mm-hmm. whoever comes into my life is just the cherry on top. You yeah. need nothing else. Yeah. And for you, did you have that epiphany? Did you get there eventually and, and yeah. organically and then the prince showed up? Yeah. I had to do a lot of inner work to like get to that place of like, I actually don't need anybody, mm-hmm. but I so would love that companionship. Mm-hmm. And like, and for me, of course, having a partner that would help me raise my son, our son, you know, with my ex-husband, like that was really important to me. Yeah. And it was a journey that I had to go on to get to a place of like, don't need anyone, don't have to prove myself to anyone. I'm sufficient. I am enough. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do or say or be other than who I am. And that's like solid. Yeah. You're already whole. What exactly. is the key to co-parenting for you? What what advice would you give to those who might be navigating it? <laughs> That's a great question. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Don't parent the other person's parenting. And if they're trying to parent your parenting, you have all of the power in your response. Keep it moving. As long okay. as the other parent isn't harmful, neglectful, neglectful, and you know they're doing their thing, your kid's coming back, fed, alive, healthy-ish. <laughs> It's enough. Healthy-ish. It's true, though, because we get, like, so caught up in, like, well, why didn't, you know, Joe, I'm making this up. I don't know who Joe is. But why didn't Joe, like, get his bath, like, on Saturday? (laughs) You know, it's like, is that really what you want to fight over? Are you just happy your kid's back and you can take a bubble bath now? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. There's you have to choose your battles. I think that would be the other piece. Okay. Stay in your lane and choose your battles. There we go. All right. Now, before I let you go, I want to dive into this um, really interesting stat, some some research that stood out to me as a millennial. um, And obviously with this being catered towards millennial women, um, the divorce rate for millennials apparently uh, is dropping. The generation is fueling a 24 percent decline in divorce rates since 1981. And it's a decrease that experts predict will continue over coming decades. That's according to a recent article on Cosmopolitan. Um, Also, obviously, I think 
we all realize this, myself included, millennials are waiting longer to get married. Um, even the median age for a first marriage in the U.S. is 27 for a millennial woman and 29 for a millennial man. And 25% of us will never marry. So what is your outlook on uh, millennials abandoning divorce? Do you think it's a matter of age, the fact that we're waiting longer to get married? Um, a lot of us are products of divorce, right? Um, yeah. I think the stat says one third of millennial uh, of millennials are children of divorce. And so you grow up uh, wanting to avoid that and wanting 100%. to not go through what you saw maybe your parents go through. And so you're very intentional. That is certainly how I've navigated it. I was like, I'd rather never get married than get married to the wrong person because I'm doing this once and that's how I'm going into it when I head down the aisle. Um, And so I was okay with being single until I felt like I could truly feel that way at the altar. What are your thoughts on the millennial divorce rate? I love it. I think that's awesome. I wasn't familiar with that stat, but I'm all for it. And also it's not surprising to me because when you think about the concept of marriage, right? Marriage often is like You've got security. There's like certain things you get with marriage, right? The status, the luxuries, the financial security, all of those, even a baby, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? It's like now we don't have to do that. Right. You want a baby? Okay, let's go make one happen, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You want to buy a house? Cool. You go invest, save money, whatever. Go buy. You bought a house. Congrats, I did. Girl. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Sai. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I officially feel like an adult. No, baby. I was like... I was going to send out um, um, announcements like, it's not a baby, it's not a ring, it's a house, you know, like, it's none of the things that I guess everyone expects, you know, a 32-year-old woman to have. Yeah, but even if you wanted a ring or a baby, you could totally go buy one or get one or whatever. (laughs) Amen to that, amen to that. Well, you can't buy the baby, we can't buy the baby, but we can probably I mean, you could probably not buy a real human off the market, you could probably adopt or like figure out. Or like fertility <laughs> options. Like don't exactly. buy the baby, but you know what I mean. Yes, no, I know. Oh I'm totally God. joking with you. So you are in line with understanding and kind of like getting why that might be the case, right? With Yeah, it's interesting. I told my husband, I love my husband. We're not getting divorced, but like yeah. totally open about divorce because this is like what I do for a living. I'm like, listen, mm-hmm. if we ever got divorced, A, that'd be totally okay. I'd be sad for a bit, but also I'm never getting married again. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, because I'm like, you know what? I've done it. It's beautiful. I'm all for marriage. Anyone that wants to get married, I will help you coordinate. I will be your flower girl. Whatever you need, I'm game. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm also realizing different parts of me and my personality and and my aspirations that I don't need a piece of paper Mm. to be with someone. Like, I might, like, it's possible, right? Like, I get divorced and Brian and I are back together again. We're like, yeah, let's do this. We don't need paper. It's yeah. it's totally neutral. It's just a piece of paper. Yeah. I'm not saying I'll never want companionship or a long-term relationship. There's a difference. Right. Right. Sai, before I let you go, if people are interested in divorce coaching, what might be, you know, the number one sign that they should call up someone like you and maybe have someone help them through this process? And then also, where can they find you if they want to keep up with you, if they want to reach out? Okay. I love that. So if you are listening to this episode and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing about my marriage or my relationship. I'm super stuck. There's a part of you that wants to leave. The other part's like, I have to stay. 
get a coach. If you are in the middle of litigation and your ex is driving you crazy between the back and forths and the different agreements and the alimony amount or the child support amount, get a coach. You don't have to suffer. And you also don't always need a lawyer to help you with your mindset, right? Your lawyer is there to help you move the legal process forward. Get a therapist, get a coach to help you mentally and emotionally work through that. And if you're divorced and you're like, my life is over, get a coach and come mm. find me. I'm on Instagram at Cy the Divorce Coach or find me on my website at www.cythedivorcecoach.com. And that's Cy, S-Y. That's right. Cy, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us. You're so much fun. And I mean, you're dropping gems left and right and doing it with such humor. I, I adore you. So thank you. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Hot. Happy. Best. Thank you again so much to Sai for joining me and for helping navigate such a, a difficult and complicated experience with such grace and humor and heart. So make sure you guys hit up Sai if you're interested in keeping up with her or maybe reaching out to her for a little coaching. And now let's get to our Ask Zuri segment. Don't forget you can submit, slide in my DMs at Zuri Hall or email us hello at hothappymess.com. Today's Ask Zuri submission comes from Jen. Jen says, hi Zuri, I just started listening to your podcast. A friend of mine shared your podcast with me, particularly the one about dating someone who's toxic. I'm currently in a complicated situation. My ex and I are slash were, I really don't know at this point, are trying to work things out. One of the most recent issues we had was when he felt left out that I was hanging out with my girlfriends and told him it's a girl's night and there's really not going to be any men there. He felt so offended by that. He found it weird. I think it's inappropriate and weird for a man to want to hang out with nothing but women just so he feels involved. Do you think that's weird? Would you describe that as toxic behavior where they feel the need to control all of your experiences or be a part of them? He also doesn't like it that I go on vacations with my girlfriends. Granted, we've gone on our own couple vacation and he's been drunk and a hot mess at every one of them. In the past, I've turned down vacations with friends because he felt some type of way. I guess I'm just looking for some girl advice. None of my girlfriends have had a situation like this and can't relate or give me advice on this, but I thought this could be an interesting topic for your podcast if it hasn't been discussed already. Any light you could shed on this or any advice you can give, I would greatly appreciate it. First of all, Jen, thank you for the submission, and I'm so glad that you're loving the podcast. The first thing that I will say, and I'm just going to keep it real, this I haven't thought this out, I'm just answering in real time as it comes to me, um, but you did mention that none of your girlfriends have had a situation like this, and they can't relate or give you advice, but... You also started with a friend of yours shared my podcast with you, particularly the one about dating someone who's toxic. So I feel like it might be your friend subtly saying, hey, listen to this episode because I feel like there might be some warning signs here or some red flags that they talked about on Hot Happy Mess that you're experiencing in your own relationship. But I don't know. I'm trying to throw your friend under the bus. I don't really know what the play was there. And in all seriousness, based on what you're telling me, honestly, girl, it's toxic. I hate to say it. I it, To me, when a guy doesn't allow, well, not even just a guy, a partner, period, no matter who you're dating, whether it's a man, whether it's a woman, whoever, if they don't allow space for you to be who you are, share time and experiences with the people you love and care about without inserting themselves into every single situation. It's just not healthy, you know? 
I, I think that starts to cultivate um, a, a culture of codependence in a way that's really unhealthy. And also it, it is a way of exerting control, which I think you kind of feel like I think your spidey senses are tingling. You talk about the fact that you think it's weird. Um, he should not be offended by you going to a girl's night. It's literally called a girl's night for a reason. So there's that. Additionally, the fact that, you know, he feels the need to control your experiences and be a part of all of them, it kind of, to me, implies a lack of trust or, and or insecurity, right? Like, why does he feel the need to always be there? Is he concerned about what you're doing or what your behavior might be? Now, if you're out here turning up and doing God knows what, then okay, that's a different thing. But if you're just out here trying to enjoy, you know, time with your friends or your family and he doesn't trust that without him being there, oftentimes I've found, and this has been certainly my experience um, a time or two in the past, in past relationships or guys that I've casually dated, they're projecting onto you because they know what they would do in those situations or what they do when people aren't around. So it almost makes me wonder what what is going on in his mind based on what how he's behaving when you aren't around. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because who knows. Um, regardless, that sort of controlling behavior, I'm just not down with. And I don't think it's healthy. And it tends to spiral. It's a slippery slope. You know, first it's you can't go to girls night unless I'm there, which is crazy. And that's just ridiculous. And then it's, I don't want you on vacations without me. And then it's, why do you need your family or friends when we have each other? And it's through that process that, you know, sometimes, and, and I mean this very seriously, when we think about abusive relationships, not just toxic, but truly emotionally abusive, mentally, verbally, physically abusive, it doesn't always start so obviously. It starts with alienating your partner from the people around them um, until one day they look up and they don't have that support network and they don't have people to go to outside of you. And that's exactly what an abuser essentially wants. That's exactly what a narcissist or someone who's using manipulation tactics wants. They want to alienate you so that eventually you have to rely fully on them for emotional support, for, you know, uh, social experience and, um, it's not healthy and it's not good. And finally, when you say he's been a drunk, hot mess on every single one of your couple vacations, that tells me if that's not... Now, look, if you're trying to be a drunk, hot mess with him, go be great. Live y'all's life. Have fun. Take the trip to Maui. Turn up. But if you don't like who he becomes on these vacations and yet he still consistently does it, that to me says he completely disregards your feelings, your thoughts, your needs. Um, and that to me is a lack of respect. And so that to extrapolate means I don't know if he respects you the way you deserve to be respected. And he certainly can't love you the way you deserve to be loved if he doesn't trust you enough to let you do the other things that make you happy and that fill you with love. Um, so I say this from a place of love and just really wanting the best for you and, and hoping the best for you in the situation. Um, I just got to give it to you straight because it does not sound like he is ideal. If you want a healthy, happy, long-term relationship and also to keep the other important relationships in your life. And no one who truly loves you in a healthy way would ever want you to give up those other relationships um, or feel the need to control how you interact with the other people around you.
So in conclusion, I do think it's toxic. I do think his behavior is toxic. I would gently encourage you to just kind of sit with yourself and reflect on it. And it might hurt in the short term or feel less than ideal uh, to step away from the relationship or move outside of it. But maybe you should think about that in a serious way. And then honestly, maybe your friends haven't been in the situation, but I would encourage you to go to your closest friends, the ones that you really trust, who you know have your best interest at heart and want you to be happy and ask them straight up. Sometimes friends don't bring stuff up because they don't want to overstep their boundaries or offend you or they're they're afraid they'll hurt your feelings or that you guys might fall out because you'll react badly. Maybe go to one of your close friends and say, look, I love you. I trust you. And I've been thinking some things. And so I want your honest opinion. What do you think about insert low key toxic boyfriend's name here? And then see what they say. And maybe you giving them that permission to speak their piece will give you some some signs or some some insight into which direction you should take. So, Jen, I am sending you love. I hope that uh you do what's best for you and that you stay with the people who love you and support you and, and that amazing network that you have. And shout out to the friend who sent you that episode of Hot Happy Mess. That's that. All right. You guys, if you have any other questions that you want me to answer, go ahead and send us an email. Hello at hothappymess.com. Put Ask Zuri in the subject line or you can DM us. We're on Instagram at Hot Happy Mess and at Zuri, Z-U-R-I-H-A-L-L. And don't forget, we have a Facebook group. So if you want to get in with all of the amazing badass women who are joining our community, we're growing and we're connecting and it's awesome. You can go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash hot happy mess. It's a secret, sexy, exclusive, private group. So just make sure you answer the questions when you apply to join and then you can join. (laughs) Did I sell that? Did I pitch that uh, well enough? Just go. Just go check it out, all right? We're doing some cool stuff over there. And I will see y'all on the next episode. Bye, guys. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.